0: Tales of ghostly sightings are as old as time. One of the earliest recorded sightings was by Pliny the Younger, the Roman author and statesman. Thousands of years ago, Pliny wrote that an older man who had a long beard and who wore chains that rattled when he moved was haunting his home in Athens. Many of the popular tales of ghostly sightings involve historical figures who died well before their time or who met a violent or mysterious end. For those who perhaps are unfamiliar with her story, Anne was the second wife of King Henry VIII, and mother of the future Queen Elizabeth I. Despite her status, Anne was accused and convicted of treason, incest and adultery, and her punishment was death by beheading. So where does Anne Boleyn haunt? Well, staff and visitors at the Tower of London, where Boleyn was beheaded, have frequently spotted her walking about. She has also been seen at her childhood home, Hever Castle. But is it just historic figures who are seen from time to time, from beyond the grave? I'm Blair Newby, and this is Chatham Kent Hauntings. So have there been actual ghost sightings in Chatham-Kent? The next few stories will shed some light on this question. Once again guiding us today are Sheila Gibbs, Lisa Gilbert, and Jim Gilbert, authors, historians, and organizers of Ghost Walks of Chatham-Kent. Our first tale is the haunting story of the Dark Lady.
1: Our next story occurs on the river road In Dover. Now I'm quite familiar with this road. It's got all sorts of twists and turns into it and uh, I have seen lots of things on the river road that I can't really explain coming home late at night. However, I'm not the only one who's seen things. All of us have mistaken shadows for figures in the dark, but when suddenly appears and mysteriously vanishes, we suspect we have come across something beyond our everyday experience. And this situation happened to a couple of young corn crew leaders a number of years ago. They were attending a summer party at Brookshire Estates on the opposite side of town, Um, it's on the southern part of the city of Chatham, and their ride home to the River Road Dover was supposed to arrive at 1 a.m., but it didn't show up. Being young and fit, the men decided to walk home knowing it would take them well over two hours as they lived on the opposite side of the city. It was a clear night with the bright moonlit reflecting off the pavement. As they reached the final portion of their trip, well past St. Clair College, the sidewalk disappeared and they began walking facing traffic on the south side of the road. Both men had lived in the area all their lives and were familiar with the houses and properties along the route. As they passed by familiar spots, they marked their progress and took note of their surroundings in a relaxed way as those used to the river road. The moonlight was shining brightly along their path, helping them to see the ground. Suddenly, the dark figure of a slight woman appeared in their path, wrapped in a full-length coat with a collar up around her face. Now, remember, this was well after 1 o'clock in the morning, so you wouldn't expect to see an, an older lady walking out on the road. One minute she wasn't there, and the next she was right in front of them. One of the men pushed the other out of the way, thinking that she would bump into him. They heard high heels clicking around on the pavement for a few steps and then there was no sound and she vanished from sight as suddenly and as completely as she appeared. The young men exchanged startled looks, as you can imagine, and immediately blurted out, Did you see that? They couldn't believe their eyes. Shortly after this, they were further rattled to run into a white mist close to the curve in the road near the Ward farmhouse. And this is a farmhouse that everyone knew on the River Road. On no other part of the road, they had had seen any dew or mist because the night was so clear and fine. So it it couldn't be explained by, oh, it's a mist, and, you know, your eyes are playing tricks on you. No, it was just a a clear, fine nut. The next morning came early, and during the course of the working day, one of the men talked to a friend who told him her great aunt had died in the night. When he asked her where she had lived, he was stunned to hear that she lived in the exact vicinity of his encounter with the dark lady. Was the dark lady the ghost of this great aunt? Still later, he heard a reluctant admission from a neighbor that he and his young son had also witnessed a strange dark figure walking along the river road that night. Although many years ago now, this encounter with the other side of Chatham-Kent is vivid in all of their memories.
0: And that's the haunting story of the Dark Lady. Next up we have the paranormal tale titled, Be Afraid.
2: This story relates a mysterious visitation that is extraordinary in every sense of the word. It is one of the most intriguing paranormal encounters I have been told. Jeff's grandparents lived on a farm near the lake at Comber where his grandfather kept bees. For many years, life went on happily without a dark cloud on the horizon. Then tragedy struck twice. Jeff's grandfather dropped dead of a heart attack at the age of 40 in the doorway of the house. And later that house burned down. So Jeff's mother was only about 12 years old at the time. And um, she faced a difficult future without her father. But then as she became an adult and had a family of her own, she was pleased that when he was old enough, her son, Jeff, decided to carry on the family tradition to raise bees in hives as his grandfather had done. Jeff decided to place his hives on the property near where the house burned down years before. It's common practice to move hives at night when the bees are settled inside the hives. A beehive can weigh upwards of 150 pounds. So a truck and a dolly are needed to ease what is a very tiring and necessarily careful job if you don't want to get stung. So one night, after working all day, Jeff decided to move his beehives, even though it was getting quite late and he was feeling tired because he had a regular job to work at in the daytime. He was at the back of his truck, contemplating how best to tackle lifting the hives when something totally unexpected occurred. The ghost of his grandfather appeared and said, Hey, Jeff, let me give you a hand. He knew it was his grandfather because he recognized the sound of his voice in his head. The spirit's lips didn't move, but rather they communicated mind to mind. Jeff only saw the figure from the waist up. The rest of it trailed off into smoky white mist. In a sort of a trance, Jeff proceeded to lift the heavy hive boxes together with this spirit up into the back of his truck. After loading up the truck... Jeff sort of gasped out his thanks, said goodbye, and drove furiously away. He was just so thunderstruck and shaken. When he got home, he was as white as a sheet, or as a ghost, and couldn't talk to his wife to explain his behavior. He immediately made himself a drink and downed it in one gulp. This was very unusual behavior and shook her up. She didn't know what had happened to her calm, logical husband. Who was this white and shaking creature that looked at the bottle of whiskey and decided he didn't need a glass to drink out of? She was very concerned because his unnerved manner was so out of character. He wouldn't or couldn't explain what was upsetting him. He paced up and down for hours, muttering to himself. He got into bed making disbelieving noises, and tried to sleep, but he couldn't settle down. Like his bees, his brain was buzzing with wild thoughts and unlikely explanations. In the morning, his wife demanded that he tell her what was wrong. Should she call a doctor, a friend? What was going on? He told her she wouldn't believe him, that she and anyone else would think he was overtired or hallucinating, that there had to be a logical explanation for what he had experienced. She knew, however, that he was too objective, too reasonable, to be making up such a story. And what would be the point of that, anyway? And the way it had so deeply affected him was all the evidence she needed of the truth of what happened. This is what regularly happens to people who have had one of these extraordinary experiences— They try to find some answer that's anything but what they think they saw. And eventually, they're forced to admit there is no likely, earthly answer. Jeff has never taken his bees back to that location.
0: And that's the haunting tale titled Be Afraid. Up next, the ghostly presence of Jesse.
1: A strange and well documented ghost story is associated with this house on 52 Adelaide Street. There have been a number of owners who have reported similar and disconcerting occurrences. A young girl named Jessie became a nun and also became pregnant, which is frowned upon in the Catholic Church. This was not an acceptable situation for her, but she couldn't see a way out of her predicament. In despair, she committed suicide. We assume that maybe she was boarding at 52 Adelaide because uh, the first home of the nuns in Chatham uh, was just across the street from the, the cultural center. So in despair she committed suicide although it is not known for certain when she did this the strange things happen in this house in December and in particularly around the Christmas season so she we, we assume that uh, her suicide occurred um, around Christmas season you know another reason for for her to be depressed now some of the things that happen in this house is that the door bell gives a half a ring. You know, it's impossible to do that. A feat hard for a human hand to achieve, but no one is there. They go to the door. No one is there. A certain picture hung at the foot of the staircase can be straightened one moment and off center seconds later with no obvious disturbance anywhere in the house to vibrate the walls. Other pictures have fallen off the walls. The water tap turns on by themselves, and there's a definite feeling of unseen presence. Sometimes residents have caught blurry images moving out of the corner of their eyes. A chair in the second floor keeps moving around as if a restless spirit can't decide where it should sit. One former resident of the house had good reason to be grateful to the ghost. All the fireplaces in the house are black. One night, this owner decided to strip one fireplace to refinish it, and she had lit a candle, either to help dispel the odors of the chemicals or simply for its fragrance. She had been working uh, alone for a time and decided to sit down and rest briefly. As she inadvertently nodded off, the candle fell over and started a small fire. Suddenly, she was jolted awake by a hand urging Gripping her shoulders. Quickly realizing her peril, she was able to douse the flames thanks to the help of this, well, unseen presence. We assume that Jessie had come to rescue when she was most needed help. One of the most recent experiences related to us by the current owners concerned a statue she had on the front porch. Naturally, the statue faced outward to greet visitors, but the owner has come out in the morning to find, for no apparent reason, it turned inwards. The statue is quite heavy, so it's not likely children has managed it as a prank. Also, figurines on the place have been turned inward, reinforcing the notion that it's not a child's work at home. Now, I have personal experience I was teaching at John McGregor Secondary School, oh, maybe 20 years ago, and a a student came up to me and said, I've got something that's happened that, you know, you're into history, so maybe you can explain to me what happened. And I said, well, I can try. And she said, well, I was babysitting for a couple that lived there, And I, even though they told me not to phone my boyfriend, I, well, you know what teenagers are like. She said, I phoned my boyfriend and he came over. Well, we were sitting in the front room and that uh, all sorts of appearances have happened in that front room and all sorts of weird things have happened. So they're sitting in front of the fireplace and all of a sudden on both sides, the fireplace Picture drops, falls to the floor at the same time. And um, uh, uh, the irons that will operate the fireplace, uh, pokers, fell at the same time. Now, she says, well, uh, we were sitting there and, uh, well, he started to... Kiss me, yes, you know, certainly maybe more than that. But anyways, um, that's what precipitated this. Now, what happened is after that, the the, the boyfriend uh, quickly forgot any, everything else and ran out of the house and said he's not coming back. So that has occurred in in, uh, in a number of times. She was, of course, very frightened by what well, this. This is just, had just happened to her when she was to- telling me the story. And um, it, it really frightened he, her. And I didn't really have an answer, um, although thinking about it, In retrospect, maybe Jesse didn't want the same thing to happen to this girl that happened to her, meaning getting pregnant. So maybe that was an excuse. Now, the current owners of the house, who oftentimes come on our our spirit walk and ghost walk, um, have said that they have seen a partial figure of of what they call Jesse. And uh, the woman of the house spotted it first, and she saw Jesse, oh, I guess it was, walking back and forth in the hallway. And uh, she didn't want to say anything to her husband because she thought, oh, well, look, my husband's going to think I'm crazy if uh, if I say uh, that I saw a ghost. And um, but anyway, she saw him so often, and she she saw that her husband was looking toward the parents and so she thought she'd take a chance and said um are you seeing anything in the house that's a little unusual he says yes exactly he says i've seen some kind of figure walking back and forth in the hallway and she said well so did i and it was a boat from the waist up and it was so apparent and obvious that uh, they could even tell what she looks like. So there have been all sorts of experiences in this house from a number of people, which makes us believe that this is probably one of the most haunted houses in Chatham.
0: And that's the haunting tale of Jessie. Next up, we have The Shining Ghost.
3: This next story takes place along the river in the city of Chatham and uh, you know we've sort of mentioned before that uh, the river seems to be a magnet for ghostly activity possibly could be because of the water probably because so much uh, civilization has gone on along the banks of the river certainly in the days before Chatham was ever a city there was native occupation and burials along the river. This story is probably of much more recent origin, though. And it involves a, a, it's a one-story cottage that was built about 1890 near the LaCroix Street Bridge. So that particular house had been built by somebody in the Eberts family. And the Eberts brothers. Are very famous uh as Chatham industrialists in its early years. They were shipbuilders and they had a a shop and they, in fact, they built what they called the Ebert's skyscraper. They didn't call it that. Other people did. called it the, the Ebert's skyscraper in 1855. And it was a, a four-story uh, building, five stories if you include the very bottom. Uh, they, and what they did is they built a cut. They built the, the building over uh, top of the cut that uh, so their boats could go right into the basement of the building and they could offload there and bring things up to street level. Um, but so this uh, Ebert's property was much later, 1890. Um, and in the 1940s, it was actually owned by William Hubble, who was mayor of Chatham. And he and his wife, um, they sold it to... Dr. Riseborough and his wife, Edna. And we talked also in other places about how a class system was much more in place in earlier days, not only in Chatham, but everywhere. But the Riseboroughs were sort of, let's say, of a, a higher echelon. And they did a lot of entertaining, and they purchased very luxurious furniture, et cetera. So they did not have any children, though. And after Dr. Risborough died, Mrs. Riseborough, um, she, she eventually got, you know, older and she was living by herself, so she needed to hire a caretaker um, and a caregiver, and she did. And this was Mrs. Rachel Buck. She lived in the neighborhood, so she came... And she came to live with Mrs. Riseborough. And she looked after her very well, very well, to the point where when she, when Mrs. Risborough died, she left Mrs. Buck, her house, and all of her furnishings. And so Mrs. Buck was living there in the house by herself after that. But she must have been very uncomfortable with it, perhaps, or... At any rate, she, a few years after, killed herself. And she killed herself in the front room of the house. So fast forward uh, to much more recent times. Another family is living there, a family with two daughters. So one night, the older daughter is kind of looking after her younger sister. The parents are gone for the evening And she was watching television and she decides to go up to her room and she has to go up the stairs, which is right by this front room. And as she's going past, she sees this bright light and it's in this room and it's some kind of a figure rocking on the rocking chair in that room. And uh, so she's, of course, frightened. She runs upstairs and she talks to her younger sister about what she has seen and the younger sister says yeah okay i was talking to that woman earlier this evening so it turns out that the younger younger sister you know this is not unusual that uh, children have the ability to see uh, these figures from beyond more so than adults Anyway, the younger daughter had had that, uh, had experiences. And in fact, one time she was laying on her bed in her bedroom. And once again, this uh, has been mentioned in other stories, the door uh, knob of the closet uh, in this case started turning and the door opened without anybody being there. Now, that's a, a very common motif amongst uh, ghost stories. And perhaps it's so symbolic of uh, the ghost wanting to get out because ghosts never really want to be where they are. Uh, so who knows? Anyway, she had had that experience another time. She heard this. She Again, her bedroom, she's there by herself. And it's, uh, in this case, the middle of the night. And she heard heard this crinkling sound like cellophane on, you know, on the floor or somebody crumpling cellophane under her bed. So she got up, turned on the light and looked and nothing, nothing, nothing. And so she shut off the light and she tried to go back to sleep, but the sound came again and she was disturbed by that sound. Now that's a very unusual thing. And what that signifies who knows, but, and it just happened the one night. Uh, Then later on, in this case, it's the younger daughter again, but she's much older and everybody in the house is gone. She's staying in the house by herself. So she was sleeping in her parents' bedroom at the back of the house. So she was trying to go to sleep, or maybe she had even been awoken from her sleep. But she heard very distinctive noises downstairs, like someone is going through the house and opening drawers, et cetera. It's like thieves are in the house, and she is frightened to death because she's in the house by herself. So she called the police. She called Uh, the police department. And of course, they're just down the street. So they came quite quickly and they came to the property. They shone their lights around on the outside and came in the house and looked all around. Nothing. Nothing. So was this all the same ghost? Who knows? But as I said, the house was built along the river. And so it could be a number of different things. At any rate, it um it certainly scared
0: her. And those are the ghostly tales for this week's episode. But stick around for a roundtable discussion featuring our ghost walks of Chatham Kent partners, Sheila Gibbs and Jim and Lisa Gilbert.
1: You know something that occurred in most of the stories that we recounted today. And something that we've had some experience with, and I know others have too, is that it's a strange mist
2: mm. that
1: we've seen. And you, yeah. I'm look, pointing to you, Lisa. Yeah.
3: Well, in this, in in the case that you're that I know you're talking about, um, it wasn't. I didn't experience that mist. Well, you I, don't know I didn't it see happened. it. I didn't see it. Like in the case that you, the story that you told, those young men saw that mist. I didn't see it, but it occurred. It, it or it appeared in pictures that were taken, and it was during our one of our cemetery strolls. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it, we have a, a lady who takes pictures for us. And that particular uh, night, there was a very definite, very definite mist in in these pictures. That yeah, all kinds. Yeah. And, and, it, and what I found interesting was there's, there's the one uh, at the one spot, um, I think maybe, maybe there might have even been a couple of pictures at that spot, if I'm remembering correctly. And then there was another one where there was nothing. But then there was also a picture at another place that same night. And I don't know if the mist was following me around or what, but I'm glad I didn't see it at the time because I would have been quite frightened, I think.
1: And then in the picture taken immediately after that, there's no sign I, yeah, of a mist. Yeah, that's mm-hmm.
2: what I was saying. Yeah, I don't, I, yeah. Well, there's an example of that in one of my books. where Yes,
1: I was is. trying to, th- it's that alley between... Yeah, um, Gray Street. Gray Street, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: And they have, uh they just got married, actually, and they're on the front step of this house. And so they've got somebody taking a picture of them. And again, it's, it's pre-digital. So this person has got like a 35 millimeter and they're taking one shot. And so quickly taking another and they don't see them as the right, not like digital, like you look at them and you can see them. Right. And so it's when they're developed and suddenly here's one that's taken and the next one, right, like you're saying, immediately after. One, you can hardly see them in the mist. And the next one, it's perfectly clear. And they, they both, the, the lady, he said. But it was just like, we didn't see it either. But it was there on the film. What does it mean?
1: I know that I, I find that endlessly fascinating.
2: Uh, well, I mean, orbs, if you want
3: to, you know, yeah, orbs, orbs yeah. are and another orbs, thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And of course, anybody who is in the least bit interested in ghostly kinds of stories and, you know, uh, experiences, they try to take pictures with orbs in them. And oftentimes, you've, I mean, you know, we've had pictures taken. Uh, of our various tours and the, and people come back and they show us the orbs. It's...
1: Well, I remember uh, I, I saw this picture of myself. Uh, we were I was coming out of St. Thomas Church yeah, that one's cool. on the River Road yeah. in mm. Dover and it's at night, of course, and there's just all sorts of orbs around me, um, you know, and that is the site of some supernatural uh, goings-on. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, so we yeah. have a
2: we have a friend who's also a, a reenactor who's um, who has a wife who is calls herself a small medium because she's short, <laughs> <laughs> and she's also a medium and she doesn't advertise that you would never know it really to talk to her, but um, they as a as a team have done some very interesting things and we have participated in some of those with them, and uh, he's an expert in looking at these orbs because he's taken literally thousands of pictures with, ex- you know, extremely good equipment. And he he can tell. So I have sent him some pictures to look at that we've got from our different experiences. And, you know, he, he will identify, yeah, this is just a speck of dust mm. or this is a, you know, stray beam of light somehow, even though it might be dark. Um, but there are those that Definitely. He says, oh yeah, that's, that's definitely an orb. But so, all right. I,
3: what, what I wanted to say that the theme of this was actual sightings, the theme of this episode. And what I was going to say is, you know, in, in our experience, I think the actual sightings is very unusual. Uh, you know, we get lots of stories like we were talking about orbs, um, mists, um, you know, people hearing things, um, Um, things being maybe moved or or whatever, Mm -hmm. but it's not very often that people actually see a ghost. And I think it's because the ghost has to be a particularly strong, has has to have a lot of energy to be able to actually Make, make an appearance. And that's why the story, your story
2: about the bees, It's just amazing. It is. It is, and and that's why I, in that story, I definitely emphasize the rationality of this man, because it was his wife that was telling me the story, and um, she she just could not get over it. And this is a guy who's really, as we keep saying, it, it sounds repetitive, but it's the truth. So down to earth, always. Looking at things very rationally, looking for an explanation, never jumping to conclusions or given to exaggeration, to hallucination, not an overuse of, you know, anything that might cause that. Nothing like that. And he has this story. Mm. And she was actually, I think, kind of jealous, frankly, because she would like to see something, but he's the sensitive one. Mm. He's the one that experiences these things. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. And and, uh, and again, we come back to that, that, uh, you know, we, we've talked around this at different times, but it's true that there are some people who simply, by birth, I think, have this innate ability to see things. Yes. And then there are others of us who, with some effort, some reading, some meditation, some whatever— could train ourselves perhaps to be more aware of things that are going on. And then like Jim likes to to mention, there's it's sometimes it's 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 not it's people that are haunted or it's things that are haunted too mm-hmm. that get moved from one location where something significant happened to that family or that person, and suddenly it's moved to a different location and there's some something attached to it.
1: Mm-hmm. I wonder sometimes, too, that if we are all capable of seeing th- whatever it is, and so, sometimes we do see them, but we immediately it, it, uh, reject it. Yeah. Because we don't really want to see them, because if we do see them, it makes us ha- reflect on what we've seen in before, that ha- we, ha- we have to have a whole new uh, aspect to uh, identify them and to say, well, what did we see? What did we see? And, and mm. you know, I yeah. don't know. It it makes us rethink our whole existence. Mm. It does.
2: But that again is what I like about all of these these stories and this this investigation. Is it makes you think and oh. and become more perceptive and become more aware as individuals of what's going on around us. Too often, I think. People get caught up in everyday life. And yes, there are a lot of pressures, a lot of urgency about meeting tasks, getting things done, raising children, fulfilling bosses' demands. We are all all have had been or are at the moment subject to those. And so you become tunnel vision. You don't really take in the things that are around you. But there are those lucky or some of them don't consider themselves mm-hmm. lucky individuals who can see these things. They do see them.
1: And, you know, in the modern age, I think that's, uh, you know, a very clear criticism that we don't have time to reflect on as many things as we should. Because, you know, everything is... I was just listening on the radio the other day and they say it starts out with 60-second commercials. Yeah, very and now, interesting. And now they're just down to what? There was one... It was like one, 10 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, so we don't have time to reflect on, uh, on everything. The attention span. On.
2: The attention span has mm-hmm. shrunk. Oh, yeah.
1: exactly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as a teacher, uh, and you maybe realize this yourself, so that um, the, the, uh, from when we started teaching to when we ended teaching, the concentration level of students yes. have increasingly changed. And, I, you know, you could blame it on television. You could blame it on movies, that everything happens so fast, that there's so many things going on in our lives that we don't have time to reflect. Right. But I think that's a, a, a very... Unfortunate situation that none of us have time to sit down and reflect on what we saw and really think about it. That's true. That's true. And
2: these experiences force that. You're right. Yes. Mm -hmm. Because suddenly they can't ignore them. No. This was extraordinary. What happened in this case with his bees, and he didn't ask for it. He didn't want that to happen. Exactly. But
1: yeah. But it must have been a very reassuring. Um, yeah. Once a, he episode. got beyond
3: being well, being startled start. by it, mm-hmm. yes, mm-hmm. yeah,
2: yeah. To think that his grandfather was there, and to in even is was just in his head, but to hear that voice—that you know, you if you've uh, lived with grandparents, or if you you know, when everybody may not have a positive experience with their grandparents, but if you have, it's such a wonderful thing to be able to hear that again.
1: Yeah, I I, I think and, so. And and that
2: actually
3: brings me to the last like the last point. I think that. I think we should make is, you know, the overwhelming majority of the stories that we have told through all of these podcasts, the people, the, the, not people, I guess it's not people, but the experiences that they've had anyway, um, the ghostly experiences, um, have been helpful. They haven't been malevolent. Mm -hmm. You know, we have this idea and of course it's, it's, the time of Halloween, and we all want to be scared, <laughs> and we think of ghosts as being bad, but they're not, really. No. no. Usually, no. Nine, probably 99 times out of 100, they're helpful, and they just want to give you comfort, as we have spoken about other places. Um, and and so the idea that ghosts are malevolent is just not true no. when you start looking at
2: the reality of the, of the stories that people... Tell us.
1: Yeah, that's very true. The that's one family true. that
2: I like to think of, um, the corner of of Lacroix and, and King, uh, the big white house in the corner. They don't live there anymore, but uh, the owner, who who was very happy to have <laughs> have a spirit in the house, said that entering it was like a warm
1: hug. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's a good way of looking at it.
2: Mm-hmm. And people who have become accustomed, as we've mentioned. They've gotten over the initial shock of something being there that they can't see or interact with in a way. Um, they like it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They feel that uh, it's, it's reassuring. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's friendly. It's, it's, they're not alone.
1: And there's somebody <laughs> looking after the house while they're gone. Yeah. <laughs>
2: that's right. <laughs> it's a positive thing.
0: And that's it for this week's episode of Chatham Kent Hauntings. Special thanks to our Ghost Walks of Chatham Kent partners, Sheila Gibbs and Jim and Lisa Gilbert. And to our producers, Josh Brody and Spencer Hamilton. Until next haunting.